Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to El Paso Bible Church, our, our morning service. I hope all of you are doing well this morning. I know there's some of you, some of our brothers and sisters that are not here with us. Some are traveling and some are sick. Continue to pray for them uh, that they may be with us soon. Um, if you have your bulletin this morning, there are several announcements that I like kind of key in this morning. Don't forget today. Um, Following the worship service, there will be luncheon. So I hope you plan to attend. Also, a very important note there also that's been in our bulletin for quite a while is our baptism service that's on April the 2nd during our Sunday service. Uh, so I don't think it's still too late, is it, Pastor, for them to sign up? No. Okay, it's not late. So if you plan, if you'd like to get baptized, and you believe in Jesus Christ, we encourage you to do so and talk to our pastor or or others here in the in the office. There's also a flyer that's out in the boat, out in the foyer, for those that would like to participate in VBS. This is something that we do every year, and it's really a, a blessing. And so I pray that uh, we pray that you will like to join, and really uh, just. Have a wonderful time in serving God in a special way, especially in the, serving the kids and in the ministry here at El Paso Bible Church. So there's this flyer out there. Sign up. And there's a basket where you can put it in there. So we hope you do that. This morning, in preparation for our pastor's message out of 1 Peter, I'd like for you to open your, your, your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Or in your device, whichever you prefer. Beginning with verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What a wonderful hope. Let's pray. Father God, this morning as we gather on your word, we come with anticipation, Father, of being taught your word as you have led our pastors, Father, to, to begin a message out of First Peter for us this morning. Pray that we can glean from it, and we know, Lord, that uh, everything you do is good. And so we pray, Father, as the message goes out, Father, that it will reach our hearts and our minds. And we can use that, Father, in our lives as we walk from here and into our daily lives. Father, we pray for those that are not with us for many, for many reasons, especially those that are ill and have not been able to be with us. Father, I pray for strength. I pray for uh, healing, Father, for them. And we ask, Father, that you would intervene for, for them and bring them back, Lord, to our body here at El Paso Bible Church. And, and those who are traveling, Lord, just give them mercies. They'd be returning to us. Thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the music, Father, as it prepares our hearts, Father, for the coming message. And so this morning, Father, we lift up the name of Jesus. We thank you for his grace, and we thank you, Father, for his cross. Pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen and amen. Would you stand with us? Good morning.
joy when my heart is heavy for all my days. Yes, I will. I count on one thing, the same God that never
Well, good morning. Usually I'm dealing with other people's stuff up here. This is actually stuff I left up here. But uh, glad you're here this morning. Uh, we get to do something kind of ex- it's exciting for me anyway. I don't know if you're excited about it, but we don't get to start many new series at El Paso Bible Church. We do it like on average once every, you know, two or three years, I think. Um, it's just a product of, of how we teach Scripture. So I'm excited about that. 
Uh, I do want to remind you, Ernie did a good job of reminding you guys about the baptism service that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to remind you again because several people have walked in uh, since he did that. We do have a baptism service coming up on April 2nd. That is Palm Sunday. It will be in the morning service right under the drum kit, just in case you're wondering. It's under the drum kit. That's the baptismal. Um, And so we're going to do that. If there is a class that I'm going to hold during the Sunday school hour this coming Sunday, um, and if you'd like to come, if you can't make that, that's fine. Also, just call me and we'll, we'll chat. Okay, if you'd like to be baptized and haven't been baptized since you trusted in Christ. Um, Currently, I think we have about six or eight people, uh, but the more the merrier. If you all take up all my preaching time on that day, I'm not going to complain about that. That's all good. So, please, if you're interested in being baptized, uh, let me know, um, and we'll get that done. Um, All right. Well, let's pray before we begin. Let's do that because we have a lot of things that we need to pray about. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for the reason that we are here. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of eternal life that we have simply by grace through faith in Him because of the love that He showed us, the great love that you have bestowed upon us in Him. He loved us. Father, we thank you for that, that we have received a gift that cannot be taken from us, robbed of us, laid aside. Father, we thank you for that perfect and good gift that we've received. Father, in light of that, we, we are your children and we come before you this morning to ask you for things. Uh, you've commanded it of us. Uh, and Father, we ask for healing this morning. We ask for healing for those who are suffering from cancer in our body. Uh, Father, we pray for miraculous healing. Uh, understanding that the, the audacity of that request, Father, we ask you literally to suspend nature and heal. We know that you have done it. We know that you can do it, and we ask for it this morning, knowing that your will is good and perfect, and you have good things, that you work all things together for the good of those who love you. We ask it yet. Uh, Father, we do ask for those who are not with us for other illnesses, that perhaps less severe, but Father, we ask for healing for them as well. And we ask for those who are Um, engaging in this uh, Bataan Memorial March, that they would be safe as they're doing so this morning. Uh, And Father, we thank you for their commitment to remembering uh, those individuals' faithfulness uh, and contribution. And Father, we thank you for it. We love you, and we know that you love us. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So 1 Peter is where we're going to start this morning. Oh, children, go ahead and go to Children's Church. Thank you, Juan. That's the nature of, that's the sign. When I ask you guys to make a signal, don't do this or something. You got to go like this, like Juan did, okay? So if I ask you for a signal, you got to flap your arms like a big albatross in the back, because otherwise I'll just, you know, I'm used to ignoring all sorts of little ticks and stuff. So that's good. So go ahead and open your Bibles up to 1 Peter if you haven't done that already, or scroll down, whatever you're doing, uh, you know, just close the Facebook window or whatever and go over to the Bible window if you're doing that. It's cool. I know how it goes. Uh, but we're here, here in 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is a, a great book, actually. It, it focuses on a lot of things that are relevant to us today as we try to take God's Word and apply it to our lives. Um, it is uh, focused a lot on suffering and the relationship of suffering to glory. Okay, so 
suffering and glory are repeated elements in Scripture. And that's an important connection that we need to make. Um, I even I have an acquaintance that literally has those two Greek words tattooed on his forearms, the right arm suffering and the left arm glory, so that he doesn't forget as a pastor. I am not yet there, because uh, I haven't forgotten it that bad that I need to mark it on my forearms just yet, but the idea is, is relevant, right? You don't want to forget that. Uh, Peter is writing here to be an encouragement to his readers, and his readers are kind of scattered out. In fact, that's the word diaspora that he uses to describe them. They're scattered over what we would call Turkey, I guess, Asia Minor, um, and they're in the middle of suffering. They are suffering. They are, they are pursuing glory, and that's what they need to be reminded of. Uh, they need to rely on God's grace as they do that. Um, and so in that sense, you could virtually take the entire epistolary corpus, the whole, all of the letters, the epistolary corpus. Yes, I just said that. Duh. All right. So that means all the letters. Epistles are letters. Corpus means body. All of them collected together, all the parts, and you could say that. It's being written to people who are living for Jesus, wanting to live righteous lives, who are thus going to suffer persecution and need to understand what the purpose of that persecution is. That's actually all the way through the New Testament virtually and all of the letters that are written in a sense. But Peter has a particular perspective, and so we're going to learn that from him. Uh, and we're, we are. I mean, I've talked about Peter as the author. Uh, nobody that believes that God's Word exists that I know of argues that Peter wrote this book. Um, there's only one Peter mentioned in Scripture, and, and I've, there are people who don't think any of the Bible is any of God's Word, and it shouldn't surprise you that I don't really care what they think. If that surprises you, then we need to maybe have coffee more often. Um, I don't really care what they think. Um, I am convinced, and, I, and the church is convinced that this is Peter. He introduces himself in the book. Isn't that nice? Not every Bible book does that. I'm looking at you, Hebrews. Everybody wants to know who wrote Hebrews. We don't know. Uh, but Peter introduces himself. So this is Peter the Apostle, um, and he was inspired to write these words that are preserved for us. He would have written it no later than 67 AD. We think that's the latest date that he would have died, probably a few years earlier than that. So relatively, I mean, not super early, but early, mid, early to middling as far as the, the date that the Bible books get written in the New Testament. And he's writing, as I said, to Jewish and Gentile Christians. Uh, some people weight that audience more heavily to one side or the other, given that Peter is considered to be the apostles, uh, excuse me, the apostle to the Jews, as opposed to Paul, who's the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, but the truth is that uh, Peter ministered to everybody, and so did Paul. Paul did that. Uh, so there's a mix here. Uh, I think some of them probably were known personally to Peter, but he, we don't have record of him ever ministering there in person. Uh, which is, that presents some unique challenges in ministry, right? It's challenging enough that I know most of you here and you've known me for a while. Some of you have known me longer than you wanted to. That's okay, right? But uh, we know each other. And so you know when I say things. Like some people get this shocked look on their face because I'll say I don't care about some things, like from the pulpit, that I don't care about that. 
You, when I say that, and you know me, some of those of you who know me know that there's a qualification there, right? When I say I don't care about that thing, there is a, a corollary to that, and that is that I love you and I care about you deeply. Thus, I cannot care what that person thinks or even what you think about this topic. I have to tell you what the Bible says because I care about you even if you make wrinkled up faces at me or get mad at me or don't like that I say it that way. That make sense? You know me, so you should insert that corollary when I say that, okay? So I love you too much to care what you think all the time. Can I say that? Is that, is that still too mean? Is that still too mean? I love you too much to care what you think about everything all the time. Okay, if, if, again, we might need to have coffee more often if you don't understand that to be the positive statement that it is. All right, but it is. I love you guys. All right. But he doesn't know them necessarily. He doesn't know all of them, certainly. And that presents some issues, right? But he does know things about them. He calls them strangers, sojourners. Actually, he used a word that we can't use in El Paso anymore. Alien. I got told I couldn't use the word alien anymore by somebody who apparently didn't ever look at it in the dictionary a few months ago because they thought I was calling somebody an extraterrestrial. Now, extraterrestrial has a particular meaning, doesn't it? Somebody that's not from Earth. That's not what alien means. That's not what alien means. Alien means somebody who doesn't have a legal right to be where they are. That gives you some expectations when Peter calls the believers scattered about, and he says, you guys are aliens. So manage your expectations accordingly as to how the governments of the world are going to treat you, how the people in the world are going to treat you, how you should relate to them. You need to spend a lot less time demanding certain rights that you have and a lot more time focusing on your temporariness. Some of you all like camping, right? I personally, yeah, Juan likes camping. Some of you all went camping this last week. I personally don't camp anymore. I camped for a long time. Thank you, Ernie. It's good to know that there's another rational person on our elder board here that doesn't, that's decided that camping is no longer. I camped for six months in a 30-foot RV with no slide-outs with eight people. I'm done. See, that tells you, right, camping is supposed to be temporary, and that's the idea. You're supposed to sojourn there. You ain't supposed to live there, right? And we even had a 60-gallon water heater plumbed into the RV, and it still was tight, right? And it still didn't, wasn't pleasant. Six-gallon, those six-gallon RV ones don't work real well for that many people. He calls them aliens. He wants them to understand their perception of their circumstances, Right? You are temporary residents here. He says you're scattered. We'll, we'll cover this again as we go through, but he, we're talking about introductory material, prolegomena. Right. So they're planted, actually. Diaspora is uh, related to the word spiro, which means to plant seeds like this. You know, some so seeds you plant in rows with a drill, find a tractor these days. Other seeds are cast, and that's the idea. Cast out the seeds. You're scattered, you're planted, you're there until harvest time, I would say. That's the picture. They're double aliens, in fact. They're aliens because they've been scattered into a nation that is not theirs, and they're aliens in a world, in this world. 
that does not love them and that John told us we're not supposed to love. They're double aliens, actually. And out of 105 verses, suffering shows up 15 times. 105 verses is not very many. One day you ought to sit down and count the ones in Psalms or Genesis or whatever and find out that that's a pretty short short book. This is a short book. And I'm not going to make any projection about how long I'm going to make it, so don't ask. But 105 verses, 15 times suffering. 10 times the word glory. Glory. And in the middle of that, the theme of living triumphantly, knowing the relationship of suffering to glory. So let's get down to the, to the text here. Some of that material is going to come up again. That's okay, right? Because the whole goal here is that you're supposed to know this material because that's what transforms us. Yes, programs don't do that. Ideas don't do that. People tell me I'm supposed to be the idea man. Um, I'm supposed to be the chief marketing agent for the church. Again, I love you too much to care what they think about that, okay? Because the Word, by the Spirit, transforms you, grows you, matures you, and that's what you take from this place. That's what you take from this fellowship. And if I've done that, then I really don't care if they tell me I'm successful or not. Well, there's that word again, I don't care. I'm going to try to use that a little less, because people do mistake what I, say, what I mean, Verse 1, Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's a statement of ownership, actually. It's a genitive of possession. You could say Jesus Christ's apostle. He finds his source for his authority in the mission that he was given by Jesus Christ directly in person. In person, that's the kind of the dev- of the big A apostles. Now everybody gets wound around the axle because there are some people that are called apostles simply because they were sent out from somewhere in Scripture. They were given a mission by other human beings. But when we talk about the apostolic authority, the people who write down inspired words of Scripture or who grant their authority to the writing of the inspired words of Scripture, the big A apostles, every single one of them received his commission in person from Jesus Christ. And so, pardon me if I don't... uh, Accept your title when you simply print it on a business card, because I get business cards with apostle written on it all the time, and with a capital A. See, I'm an apostle to SureSave occasionally. My wife sends me to SureSave to get something, usually half and half or heavy whipping cream for our coffee, but I don't put that on my business card, because Jesus isn't sending me to SureSave. It's Priscilla who sends me to SureSave. That's the level of distinction. If you're running around El Paso, Texas, or the desert southwest, or New Mexico, or wherever, and you have a possible on your business card, cut it out. Cut it out. Jesus is not walking on the face of this planet right now, and he did not give you a face-to-face commission. Didn't happen. That's where Peter gets his authority. He says, I belong to Jesus. Jesus gave me this mission. He gave me this title to those who reside as aliens, aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. 
all over that area of Asia Minor. Aliens. Heaven forbid you would put illegal in front of that. Illegal. Aliens. It's kind of redundant, actually. Paul doesn't shy away from that. He says, you don't have a legal right to be where you are. Your citizenship is not there. I mean, it, it reminds me of the time, a couple of years ago, I, I was told by somebody, got very angry at me, and I used the word hearing impaired. And they said, you can't say hearing impaired. That's a new one, right? Y'all are used to not being able to say alien. You're used to not being able to say woman right now, right? All those words. But hearing impaired, this was a new one for me. They said, that offends deaf people to say hearing impaired. Well, you didn't even ask. I have a hearing impairment, guys. That, one of the reasons I talk so loud is to drown out that hearing impairment. Not really, but I mean, it's a good excuse, right? If I can't say hearing impaired, who can? I'm actually suffering from one, but I'm not deaf. Not in an actual sense like that, but I have a hearing impairment. Unfortunately, I have tinnitus that's constant in my life, day and night. And it makes people feel like I don't listen to some women because it's right in the tone of most women's voices. So don't be offended, ladies, if I have to go, hmm, <laughs> to you more than to the men. Part of my physiology at the moment. It's not selective hearing. It's not volitional. I'm not trying to ignore you. But you all need to be aware of that. Hearing impairment is a perfectly good word. Alien is a perfectly good word. He reminds them, guys, you're temporary residents. Guys, y'all are temporary residents. You are aliens here. You do not belong to the world. You do not belong to the world system. We covered that in 1 John. You shouldn't love it because it's a waste of your efforts. It is a waste of your time to sacrificially love something that hates you and that you don't belong to. We learned that already. You're aliens in the world. You may or may not be granted some rights, but you have no legal basis to demand them of the world system. And they're scattered, planted around the area. Imagine that. You're aliens, and you don't even live together. You're strangers in a place, and they are scattered. It doesn't change their mission. It doesn't change the relationship of suffering to glory. It doesn't give them... Um, carte blanche to reconsolidate at any given time. He simply addresses them as those who are scattered. To those who reside as aliens in all these places who are choice. A lot of your Bibles will say who are chosen. And that is... Uh, that's a valid translation. It's possible that it means that. But that's not, a, that's not the core meaning of eklektos, of chosen, of choosing. Um, and I'll show you why in a second, why that's not it, right? But when most people read the word chosen, and it's a f kind of a fact of our history post-Reformation, that when we read that word, we think selection, right? So Selection, you have... If you've had multiple children in your house at one time, we had four under five at one time, a long time ago. And they always selected 
certain color of cup out of all the cups. Yeah? You may have a child or somebody else who sees a bag of Skittles and only wants to eat the green ones. He selects the green ones. You may have a a wretched sinner of a child who sees a meat lover's pizza and picks all the pepperonis off, selecting them, because that's all he wants to eat on the piece of pizza. Selection. One out of many or a few out of many. If you're a grown-up, I'm going to out you right now. You have a favorite burner on your stove. Yes? Everybody does, I think. I have, we have eight burners on our stove. The Lord has blessed us with a very large stove. I still cook on the left front one, virtually exclusively. If it were to ever go out, I would be lost in the kitchen. Y'all are making me feel like I'm alone. Y'all are just chuckling. Nobody raised their hand. You know you do. You have a favorite burner. Tammy has a favorite burner. At least Micah definitely has a favorite burner. Micah has a lot of particularities about this sort of stuff. (laughs) More than I do. He definitely has a favorite burner, but we won't go beyond that. Yeah. You select one out of essentially co-equal choices. Simply you choose. All the Skittles taste the same anyway to me, right? That's what people read when they read that word. They go, well, that means selection. So that's picking the green Skittles out. That's picking the pepperoni off of the all-meat pizza. That's picking the favorite burner out of all the burners that would adequately cook. But it's just about selection. It's just what I choose. And uh, that's not the core meaning of that, that word. It's not. One out of many or a few out of many is not the core meaning. I can show you that in this book. Actually, flip over to chapter 2, verse 4. Everybody collectively gasp now. I skipped over some verses to get an illustration. Pastor Josh doesn't do this. Let's get the shock out of the way. Are you all done being shocked slightly? Okay, we're going to go to chapter 2, verse 4. Talking about this, and he says, verse 4, and coming to him as to a living stone. We're talking about Jesus here, Jesus the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God, only the monogenes, the only one of his kind. Coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is eclectos and precious in the sight of God. There, it probably says choice, doesn't it? The idea is value, preciousness, because of the mission you've been fulfilling, or you have to fulfill, or have fulfilled. Now, I'm going to ask you a Theology 101 question. This is actually an Orthodoxy 101 question, not just a Theology 101 question. Was Jesus selected one out of many options to do what he did? Guys, this is a softball. Somebody needs to answer this question. One of you, or I'm going to fail you all. Okay. Was Jesus one out of many selected to be the Messiah? No. 
He's the monogenes, the only begotten, the only unique Son of God, by whom all things came into being that came into being. He was the only choice, and yet he is eclectos, he's choice, because he completed the mission, did the work. He is entirely and utterly valuable because of his uniqueness in God's plan. That's the core meaning, actually, the most core meaning of eclectos. And without the last 500 years or so of church history, you wouldn't have a problem understanding that, but you're still going to wonder about it. But it's okay, because we're still going to preach on chapter 2, verse 4 again. I don't know how long, but we're going to do it again, and we'll talk about it again at that point. What is Peter saying to the aliens that are planted all over Asia Minor. Similarly, you have a unique mission and you are valuable in God's plan because of who you are and the mission that you have. You are valuable, you are precious, you are choice. Not because you just happen to be a green Skittle in eternity past. And God likes green Skittles. You are an alien planted in a particular place to reap a particular harvest in that place. Now that changes your perspective about living in little old El Paso, doesn't it? Or Santa Teresa, or La Union, right, Jordan? I think y'all are in La Union. Are you in Anthony or La Union? La Union, it's La Union. The border's a little fuzzy over there between where's La Union and where's Anthony. Changes your perspective, doesn't it? That God has put a tremendous value on you bringing a harvest where you are. And we are choice in that role. Aliens planted. Verse 2, in accord with or in agreement with the foreknowledge of God. This is in agreement with his knowledge, foreknowledge, his plan, we could say. That's what a plan is, right? Except when we make plans, we have a little saying, right? The plan just gives you something from which to deviate. No plan survives first contact, they say, except God's plan. God's plan is not ours. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for the purpose, or just to, for the purpose of obeying Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed 
in the last time. Your choice, because you're part of God's plan, the key to success in that plan is the power of the Spirit which has set you apart unto it. We have kind of an amorphous, uh, esoteric view of what sanctif- whoa. <laughs> I was about to be sanctified right onto the floor. <laughs> anyway, of what sanctification is, right? Harley Johnson came in here this morning. Harley in here this morning? No, he went to children's church. Had a little socket wrench. You know what a socket wrench is? I just found this in my pocket. Okay. You better sanctify it into a toolbox or you're going to have it in your pocket when you need it in your toolbox is what I told roughly. Because it needs to be there for its purpose, right? It's not some ephemeral concept only. You are put in a place for a purpose. You are set apart for it. You understand this intrinsically, right? You have to be somewhere to do some things. You have to be present there. That's what you were set apart for. That was his work. In order to obey Jesus Christ. In order to obey Jesus Christ. And be sprinkled with his blood. That's a kind of a weird statement. Isn't it? Y'all don't think that's weird? I guarantee if I stood up here with a super soaker full of blood, y'all think it was weird. He's going to sprinkle you? Yeah? It's weird. Your sanctifying work, the purpose that you have in the place that you are, valued by God, is to be set apart to the mission that he has given you to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. It's only one place in the Bible. One other place in the Bible where it talks about people being sprinkled with blood. Did you know that? I mean, the Old Testament is kind of a bloody place, right? Lots of blood sacrifices going on. Only one place where people were sprinkled by blood. Go back to Exodus. Yeah, all the way back to Exodus. I said Exodus. Exodus 24. We actually taught this fairly recently in Sunday school. Exodus 24, verse 8. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. That is the only place I can find where any human being was sprinkled with blood. As part, I mean, it's part of a ceremony. I'm sure that in some of those battles, somebody got splurted with blood, but that was unintentional, right? ceremonially sprinkled with blood, and it is at the inauguration of a particular covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. Mosaic Covenant. And here is where Peter says, to obey Jesus Christ, which means with his blood. 
here is where it's important that we teach things at El Paso Bible Church like Exodus and Deuteronomy so that you understand what the covenants are. Now, if you've been coming to my Sunday school class the past year or two, or even today, you would know that the Mosaic Covenant is a conditional covenant, meaning that it was bound upon the people if they, there were conditions. They received blessing for obedience, yeah? And for disobedience, they received, the biblical term is a curse. They received negative discipline for it. They were corrected for it. It's unlike the Abrahamic covenant, which was unconditional, that God bound himself alone to, that is eternal and perfect and absolute. The Mosaic covenant, which was inaugurated in Exodus 24, 8, with the sprinkling of blood on people, was conditional. Obey and receive the blessing. In other words, Peter is saying to them, choice ones, scattered out in all of these places in Turkey, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, you need to obey Jesus, and you need to obey Jesus for the right reason. You need to obey Jesus for the right reason, knowing that it brings a blessing in your life. Not out of fear. Anybody? I hear people tell unbelievers all the time that they should do something different because uh, of fear. And I hear people telling other believers that they should do something straight up out of terror, you know. You should obey Jesus because you're scared to death of Jesus, and I think that's not right. But we should acknowledge that as children of God, obeying Jesus Christ, that that is a mechanism for blessing in our life. That obedience brings blessing. And I'm okay with that. To be sprinkled with his blood. He says, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Now that's just the greeting. First part of First Peter. Don't you like that? You texting generation, you just send a question mark, right? That's your greeting. I don't know how many times... I get that. Just a question mark or an exclamation point or who dis? It was almost several years back I was in Walmart. This was pre-COVID, so I went to Walmart. And it was this little Walmart right here, and I was there by myself. I don't know what I was looking for. I was over in the, you know, the pain reliever bandage first aid section. And all of a sudden, I hear a little voice from a little person behind me. Not an actual official little person, but a smaller person than me. Is that okay? Hey, dude. I did not turn around. Hey, dude. Hey, dude, third time. Then I turned around. This may be a case of mistaken identity. Turn around and the smaller person and I just needed something off the top shelf. They almost didn't get it because they said, hey, dude, instead of, hey, sir. Your greeting matters, in other words. The way you address people matters, which is why we spend time on the greeting, the salutation here 
so that we know exactly not only who the audience is, but how Peter views them, that they're aliens that are there to obey Christ and the power of Christ and the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that they are valued by God, and they need to know that, but we need to know that because we are functionally the same in a different location, but functionally the same as these people. We need to know that. Grace and peace be yours in abundant measure. And he goes on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we normally do, I mean, we do see References, right, to being born again in Scripture. And, but normally we have it associated with something we call grace, right, that God has bestowed favor on us in order to give us eternal life, that we are born again. Here, Peter connects it with his great mercy. It's a slightly different perspective, but we need to understand that Peter is not giving them a, an exposition about their far future, the eschaton in the end days, in the last days, and into eternity, he's giving them a motivation to obey today, and he describes it as being a product of God's mercy, that he has given us something, that he has not given us something we deserved. It's a product of his mercy, and we have this in Jesus Christ because he is resurrected And this provides us a living hope, a hope in this life. Air conditioner just kicked on, and I got a waft of about 14 casseroles. <laughs> we may have trouble. I like me some casseroles. We have this living hope, a hope for we who are living, you could say, a hope for life, right? It's this progressive sense from here to there until the day in which we receive our glorified bodies, John would say, when we see Christ as He truly is, and we will be like Him, right? We will do that. We will be like Him. But until then, presently, as a result of God's mercy, we do have hope. We have a living hope, an active hope, something that we can rely on today as we leave this place and take our chances on El Paso roads, right? We have a living hope. That's today. And that's why I think the difference in, in the reference here. We have that in Jesus Christ who is resurrected, right? And literally, it's this idea, his anastasis gives us our anaganao. There's kind of a play on those words there a little bit. It's because Jesus stood back up from the grave that we have this living hope. It's because He is living. We have a definition of success in our culture that says you will succeed in life if you fall down six times and get up seven. That's not always true. There's always somebody that will bust you back down the seventh time. <laughs> the general principle as a proverb is okay. It's a proverb. It functions okay. General truth. This isn't dependent on us getting back up, is it? 
people can always, <laughs> you hear sometimes, you can tell how old you are by people's reaction when you fall down. If they laugh, you're not old yet. <laughs> if they get real worried, you're old. I'm on the borderline right there. People still, now, I'm accident prone. I fall down in tight spaces a lot. So anyway. But you can always, also it depends on your audience. You know, my older sons don't laugh, but my youngest one, he finds it real hilarious. Still. It's not dependent on you getting up, is it? It's not dependent on you standing up and you accomplishing these things. Your hope comes from the fact that Jesus stood back up. Jesus conquered the grave. He rose back up. It's Christ's victory that gives us a hopeful life now. And that is something that's already won. That is something he already did. He's accomplished that. He's done all of the work necessary to conquer all enemies. And so your hope then is sure and certain and absolute. You have a living hope. What does it look like? In Jesus Christ, to obtain, you could say, that should be in italics, to an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It doesn't degrade. It's funny how Scripture talks about things rotting. So there's, in James, James says your gold is rusting away. Guys, did you know you actually can't, I mean, legitimately, humanly speaking, destroy gold even with fire? It just simply gets hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. If there's anything burning out of it, it's not gold. It just constantly refines and refines and refines and refines. And yet the Bible says that in light of God's plan, your gold is rusting and it's going to all burn up because God's fire isn't like our fire. The inheritance that he has given you is not subject even to that. It doesn't rot. It doesn't degrade. There are some very adventurous people out there that occasionally find some World War II sea rations, thinking that they are imperishable. They find out that that's a lie. They're not imperishable. They have perished. They may not kill you, but they're going to be yucky. Imperish. They're not imperishable. Your inheritance is imperishable. Doesn't rust. Doesn't rust. Isn't subject to those laws of nature. It's undefiled, meaning that it is complete, pure. It is everything that you would hope an inheritance would be unadulterated in any way. Does not fade away. It could be a poetic reference. You know, Scripture talks about that the, the grass withers and the flower fades. That could be part of it. It could be a reference to something like that. Um, but in our present day, Doesn't your, if you have some amount of wealth sitting in a bank, what just happened? 
just disappeared, didn't it? It was going to do that anyway with the level of inflation we've had. The worst place you can keep your money was in a bank anyway. (laughs) It's just getting stolen from you month by month by month by month in increasing measure. can happen, can it, in this world? It's out of your control, isn't it? Yeah? I was in real estate for a while. One of the principles of real estate is that real estate is the business to be in, guys, because real estate is indestructible. Well, yeah. Yeah. Just go find you a property that has a 150-year-old cesspool on it or an old sheep dip tank full of cyanide residue. I guess it's technically indestructible, but no human should come near it. It might as well, functionally, it's faded away in value. It's robbed of any value. It faded away, but not your inheritance because it is reserved in heaven for you. I need not tell you that Yahweh, the creator, the almighty, is not the same as Silicon Valley Bank. When he reserves something in heaven for you, it is utterly and perfectly, absolutely reserved for eternity. And you are choice, valued by him, planted in place to serve him by the work of the spirit, to obey Jesus Christ, to love him and to be loved by him in this world. Knowing that it's not going to wither, it doesn't get old, it doesn't rot, it doesn't go out of style, it's a perfect inheritance. And the hope isn't simply an inheritance, right? It's reserved in heaven for us. And if all that is true of our inheritance, if all of that is true of our inheritance, understand what has to be true of the heir. The heir has to be, have those same characteristics, doesn't he? Or he can never inherit it because it's reserved in heaven for you. All those things are true of you. That's what Peter says. You are protected, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now understand the perspective has changed from here today the living hope that we have to get up out of bed and know that Christ has put us here to accomplish something and he's going to bless us here and do those things. It has jumped to the eschaton, to the final day. He said this salvation, the salvation he's talking about is going to be revealed in its fullness in that day so that we can receive our inheritance. We are his and he will bring our salvation to fullness the one that we possess today. And we've talked about this, but we probably need to remind ourselves of it, that Scripture talks about, when it's talking about the gift of eternal life, y'all understand that much of the talk of salvation in the Bible is not talking about the gift of eternal life, but the references that are talking about this spiritual reality that we receive by grace through faith, the gift of eternal life, that we are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, by grace through faith. Those references, there are still three tenses. There is the reality that we are saved, we are justified by grace through faith. We were saved. 
And I hope that's true of all of you here today, that you were saved, that you have trusted Christ, that you've received eternal life. That's an absolute possession of a perfect gift that changes your identity from being dead in your trespasses and sins to being alive in Christ, clothed with His righteousness, declared righteous. It's freedom from the penalty of sin, we would say. Past tense. Present tense, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You are being saved. You can experience freedom from the power of sin in this life. But what Peter is talking about is future, what we would call glorification. It is the guaranteed end result. In the day that we will be glorified, we will be like Christ in that day, imperishable, undefiled, perfect, like him, able to take up our inheritance right? That's the nature. The heir has to have the same qualities as the inheritance. Or you can't really receive it. It's like owning property in Texas, right? You own it, but you still pay exorbitant extortionary rates to the state of Texas to keep it. You rent it, right? You rent it from them. You don't really possess it in all of its fullness, even though you get something called a general warranty deed and blah, 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 blah. They'll still come take it from you with guns if you don't pay your taxes. That's not the inheritance. Like you can't pass it then, by the way, to your kids if they come and take it from you with guns. You can't deed that to your children anymore. They took it from you. Nobody can take your inheritance that you have in Christ because you are guaranteed this end, this glorification, to be yourself imperishable, to be yourself undefiled, to be yourself glorified, to receive this glorious inheritance. It is guaranteed. And it's already ready. Did you catch that? For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It is ready. God is not working against a clock. In our house, we recently found that a subscription that we have on Amazon Prime, yes, we have Amazon Prime. No, I don't believe that anybody is the devil that works for Amazon. I know some of y'all want me to boycott everything. But this subscription that we have gives us all of the seasons of a show that we really like called Cutthroat Kitchen. Have you ever watched Cutthroat Kitchen? Anybody ever watch Cutthroat Kitchen? Oh, you guys got to watch Cutthroat Kitchen. Everybody's on the clock. Everybody's on the clock. And you can buy sabotages. You can take everybody's utensils and give them a roll of aluminum foil and make them make all of their spoons, all of their knives, all of their spatulas out of aluminum foil. My, one of my favorite ones is that you got to duct tape a big potato masher to your opponent's arm and basically make him one armed person to make chicken fried steak. I don't even know how he did it, but he did it. But one of the tremendous liabilities is when you're on the clock like this, you have 30 minutes and you have a potato masher duct taped to your arm, is that things don't get done, do they? They don't get done in 30 minutes. And so you stand, you take your plate to the judge, and he cuts it open, and he says, this is not cooked. 
this is not cooked. Because he ran out of time. God doesn't have that problem. It's already ready. By the smell of it, so is lunch. (laughs) But your inheritance is ready. It's waiting. It is reserved. Therefore... When Peter is going to tell us, suffer faithfully, suffer faithfully for the sake of righteousness because glory is the consequence, you can believe him because the inheritance and the glory already exist. It is ready to be received. It's ready. It's ready. Already. And that is our hope. That is our hope. No matter what we're facing today or tomorrow, some of our members' cases, no matter the prognoses they've received, no matter the outlook or the facial expressions the doctor has on their face when they tell them, no matter what you suffer, It's already ready and waiting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of who we are in this world. But more than that, who we are in your plan, in the future, in glory. We thank you for that. We thank you for these wonderful gifts that you've given to your children, that we would be able to live triumphantly, suffer successfully, knowing that we have this hope ahead of us. And presently today, in your son's name we pray, amen. Sam will dismiss with a song. And just a reminder that we do have a luncheon right after our service. We would love for you to stay. stop calling it an accident. It's just how I plan things, but I forgot to pray for lunch.
So let's do that so we don't forget. Father, we thank you again for this day and your many good gifts, not the least of which is the lunch that we're about to have and the fellowship that we have with each other. Pray that you bless our time, bless this food to our bodies and to your glory today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.